Welcome back to KSCJ Radio, 1360 AM, 94.9 FM in Sioux City, Iowa. I'm Brian Vakalskis, and this is Having Read That, conversations with authors about their books. My guest is Celeste L. Edmonds, who is the co-author of the brand new book, Garbage Bag Girl. The book is available everywhere. And when I say co-author, she's the co-author with Richard Paul Evans, who we all know from uh, multi-millions uh, of books he's sold. And, but in number one New York Times bestselling author. But Celeste, when I say co-author, this is really your story. It's uh, written like a memoir. And the gar- I, I want to start with the title. This book was gut-wrenching to read, but very eye-opening. Can you explain why Garbage Bag Girl? Yeah, it started off um, with the with the natural uh, idea that it, it just made sense that I you know I moved every six months as a as a kiddo till I reached the age of sixteen, and I always traveled with everything in my garbage bag. But then I had a moment after a speaking engagement where three girls walked up to me, and they were just sobbing. They were in their young, in their early twenties, and the one says to me, "I was." Homeless, I lived in my car, I aged out of foster care system, and I just want to thank you for sharing our story. And I realized at that moment, because I was on the fence at the time whether I would publish it after I wrote it, I was very nervous, and I realized that there's, you know, there's half a million children in the foster care system at any given time in the United States, and their voices are not heard enough. We just have this thought process that if kids are in a system, if they're in foster care, that someone's taking care of them. So Garbage Bag Girl really became more about this mentality that we start to carry with ourselves by, by going through those kind of transitions and constantly being you know, reminded that you should really just be happy with whatever you get because nobody wants older children. And so that's really how the, the title evolved into where we are today. So just to, to uh, kind of set it up, you grew up, uh, Lynn and Veda Anderson, uh, your natural parents in Utah, and through addictions and things like that, you they ended up losing their parental rights to you, and you became adopted into an abusive family, and I'm way over sum- over summarizing this, but t- your, you essentially became the mother in this family before the adoption happened, and uh, especially with your little sister, Tawny. Can you explain what it meant to be doing adult things with her? You, you never really had a childhood. Yeah, and I, I, didn't, I didn't know at the time that there was another option only because I was, I was in it, and my mom was always, you know, asleep on the couch. I don't know that would be a hangover, but at the time, she was always sleeping on the couch. My father was either in a drug rehabilitation center or in jail, and there was just not oversight at home, and I very much worried about her right out of the gate. She was five, and I was seven when I really took this role of, you know, walking her to school and doing her homework with her at night and pushing a stool up to the stove so I could cook macaroni and cheese. And we just had this life of that, that's what it looked like, and I was really confident in, in that capacity. But it put me into harm's way by having to, to decide to make decisions to protect her with with men and, and people that would come over to the house or to the apartment. And it just, you know, you don't, you don't obviously know how to be a parent as a child. You just, to me, I was just doing everything that I felt like my, my mother wasn't doing, and that was protecting us um, from everything else around us while she was checked out. 
your dad was a talented musician and played a lot of gigs in local bars, and he apparently passed on that talent to you uh, through your natural genes. But there's a story that you tell in there about when you had your goodbye visit with him. I, I think that's the bureaucratic term. What they call it now is the goodbye visits with the natural father before an adoption happens. Can you tell me about the Funyuns and chocolate milk and what became of the remnants of that visit? Yeah, that was the one of the hardest, most difficult two chapters in the book for me to write. And um, even though he had addiction issues and he struggled, when he was sober, when he was healthy, he was very attentive and, and really quite a good father in those times. And we were extremely close. I considered myself a daddy's girl. And when this day come, came where we got our last 24 hours together, he decided he would spend the holidays in one day that we would celebrate that year. And he individually wrapped a bunch of gifts for me, um, like a Black Beauty book and a game and some other things. And on our way back to him dropping me off at the foster home I was in, he stops at a at a 7-Eleven, and I smile knowing exactly what he's going to do because I loved functions and chocolate milk. Not really sure today why that was so awesome, but at that time it was my favorite treat, and he knew that was the last time he was going to buy that for me. So we walked in, and he brought it out to the van, and I carried all those items with me, even recognizing after I ate the Funyuns and drank the chocolate milk that it was trash. I cleaned them out, and I kept all those items because they were my treasures, and I was certain I would never see him again. And the abusive adoptive family that I was adopted into, the oldest brother, ended up taking them all, and I don't know what he did with them, destroyed them, but I never saw him again. And it was, um, it was the last thing I had. I had lost my brother and sister. I'd lost all my biological family and, you know, extended family members. And this was it. This was the the last stuff that I had that he was ever going to give me. So it's it, it was really hard to revisit that and those memories. And what's really cool is people will show up at, to book signings with Funyuns and chocolate milk today. <laughs> How cute. Me, which is... Yeah, such a sweet gesture. I'm talking with Celeste Edmonds about her brand new book, Garbage Bag Girl. She co-authored it with Richard Paul Evans. And Celeste, there's another, you, you experienced all kinds of different things that we don't have time to go into. Sexual abuse, physical abuse. Some of the abuse, though, I noticed came from the system itself. And there was a scene at your adoption hearing where you saw your brother and sister who you hadn't seen in a year. Can you take me through that? Because that scene was gut-wrenching because it was abuse on, beha- on behalf of the system. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was a, tough, a tough day. So I, I had lost, as I mentioned, my brother and sister, and, and had, but never got to say goodbye to them just by nature of how we, we transferred from state to state. And the first time I got to see him after about a year and a half or so, the caseworker, uh, two caseworkers, theirs and mine, thought it would be super cute to arrange our adoption day into different families on the same day. So we show up, having never said goodbye, have this, are told we have a surprise waiting for us. We look at each other, we have this great reunion, and we think, wow, they've surprised us by adopting us together. We, we didn't know. And instead, I looked up at the caseworker. She realized the mistake that she made. 
and I and then I realized what had happened, which is they just were trying. They thought it would be cute for us to you know be adopted on the same day, have the same gotcha day, and for us it was a hello. I've never I haven't seen you for a long time. It was reunification, and then it was an abrupt goodbye that I may never see you again. And it happened all in a in a in a, just a matter of minutes, and was just like I mean somebody. Somebody just took my heart and ripped it right out of my chest. I never even thought I would see them again. And so to be, you know, told that, surprise, here's, you get to be adopted today, we as children just naturally assumed that was what was going to happen is we would be together. So that was, that was very hard to revisit. That, um, you know, was obviously a bad decision on, on the, this caseworker's part to, to try to make that reunification happen in a bizarre way. But that was kind of the story of my life. Every time the system was involved, there was, a, there was something traumatic that happened and staying in drug rehabilitation centers and being adopted into this crazy abusive uh, home with this, you know, crazy mother. And that, those were all decisions that I think the system is so remarkably overloaded. At the time I was in the system, you know, we were manila file folders. There was no automation. And I never saw, I never saw my caseworkers ever come back. I never got to tell them, this, this is not a good place for me. This is not safe, and these people don't want me here. And so, again, I just kept getting told, you're so lucky. Nobody wants older kids, and I just took whatever I could get and was told to be grateful for it. And as far as the bureaucracy goes, on paper, your early life really doesn't exist, does it? No, because, again, I was in a system of manual labor or of keeping track of documents. Nothing was automated. So they only kept records of kids in the system for 10 years. So it was quite a hit, again, on the, you know, the concept of the bag, the title garbage bag girl. is isn't just that I put all my things in a garbage bag and moved from place to place, which was already awful. But it was the mentality that I ended up, and how I viewed myself until, you know, this past year, really, that I just wasn't worth keeping. I certainly wasn't worth loving, which means I didn't love myself. And these reminders just kept hitting and kept hitting and kept hitting um, until, you know, eventually there was a woman uh, when I was 16 that did let me live with her who I dedicated the book to that readopted me as an adult. And I'm super blessed to have had that happen because... I know that that doesn't happen, you know, for most children. They don't reach adulthood and then someone still takes them in, you know, adopts them at the age of 26. So it is a hard read. There is a lot of graphic content, especially in the beginning, but there is that for me, and I know that that isn't that way for the foster care system. I know that we do automate records today. We do keep records up to 99 years, but when I went to be found... Uh, there was there was no Celeste. I, I there's drug rehabilitation centers wouldn't find me. I have no original birth certificate. It was like I just popped into this planet, went into this weird family, you know, at the age of nine, and, and didn't even exist before that time. 
Well, we've just scratched the surface of this tremendous read. It, it meant so much to me to read it. And I know as a teaser for the, re for the listeners that you'll never listen to the Christmas Carol Silent Night without thinking of this book once you've read it. The book is Garbage Bag Girl by Celeste Edmonds along with Richard Paul Evans. The book's available everywhere. Check it out wherever you buy books. Celeste, just an amazing story, and I thank you for sharing it. It meant a lot to read it and to have you on. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you for having me. This has been Having Read That on KSCJ Radio. I'm Brian Vakalskis. Check out all of our episodes on our website, kscj.com, and subscribe to our iTunes podcasts. Thanks to music historian Molly Jolly and segment producer John Weasler. We will be back next time. Let freedom ring.